There are a lot of titles that seem significant. CEO, millionaire, maybe billionaire. But as we were singing that song, what just resonated in my soul is that the only title that matters is son or daughter of God. I remember where he found me. As we just sang, I believe that we all remember where he has found us, a wretch undone. And yet, love would enter into creation and pay the price so that we might be called sons and daughters of God. This thought just came to mind as, again as we were singing, so I'm just going to share it. I was reminded of the story in the Gospels where the disciples went out in twos and they were casting out demons and healing the sick and raising the dead under the power of the Holy Spirit. And they came back to Jesus and said all that they had done and they were so excited. And Jesus said, calm down. Don't be excited that the demons obey you. But be excited that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Be excited, in other words, that you are a son and a daughter of God. Ah, I just, okay, we're going to, Exodus, we're going to be in Exodus today, chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you could turn there, be reading from Exodus 8, chapter, uh, verse 20 through chapter 9, verse 12. So we have some, some text here to unpack, uh, but before we dive in, I just want to give a pastoral service announcement. Uh, if you have been with us for any period of time, uh, then you know that we have been in the book of Exodus for the past two months. And for the past three weeks, we've been walking through the plagues. And actually, for the next month and a half, roughly, we're going to keep on walking through the plagues. And it's going to be a beautiful picture, I believe, as we dive into it, of the glorious splendor of God and who we are as people of God and how great God truly is. And while I believe that it's right and helpful to intentionally and methodically walk slowly through the scriptures, I also believe that there could at times be a danger uh, if we're not careful to segment passages of scripture and forget that the Bible is one book that tells one story. And so as we spent three weeks looking at one plague after another, it may be uh, easy to forget that the plagues serve a purpose collectively. And so before we dive into uh, this passage for this morning, I just want to do a quick reminder of the purpose of the plagues so that we can see these signs rightly and respond rightly to the Lord. And so after I give this Brief overview, I'll pray, and then we'll jump into Exodus 8, uh, verse 20 through chapter 9, verse 12. And so Moses quickly uh, points out what the purpose of the plagues are. He tells the children of Israel and he tells the people of Egypt uh, what the Lord has told him to communicate to them about these plagues. And so we see in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, the reason for the plagues as Moses communicates it to the people of God, the Israelites. The word says, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out 
from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And then looking over at chapter 7, uh, verse 4 and 5, again, Moses now speaking to, uh, getting ready to go talk to Pharaoh and the Egyptian people. This is the word that the Lord gives to him to communicate about these plagues that we're walking through slowly and intentionally. Verse 4 and 5, chapter 7, Exodus, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. So we see here uh, Moses is letting us know through the word of God that the purpose for the plagues is so that the people might know the Lord. Now, someone might argue that the purpose of the plagues was for the rescue of the people of Israel from slavery. However, the Lord lets us know, and my brother Sean is going to unpack this next week in the seventh plague, uh, we see that the Lord says, no, I don't need plagues to deliver my people. Uh, Chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. For by now, this is the Lord speaking through Moses to Pharaoh, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. So I could have just done one plague, wiped you out, children of Israel, go and uh, be merry, live free, and worship me. But then why all of these plagues? Verse 16, but for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So through these plagues, plural, the Lord had a singular purpose to make himself known. And so we see in these three series of significant signs, the Lord was revealing that he is God and there is none other beside him. So we unpacked the first series. We looked at these three plagues and we see that the Lord was making himself known through his power. Today, we're going to lump three plagues together. Be praying for me. And we're going to see that the Lord is making himself known through his people. And then next week, we're going to slow down a little bit and look at one plague at a time and see that the Lord is making himself known through his punishments. And then the 10th and final plague, the Lord brings judgment. And we're going to see that in April the 17th and just have a high time in the resurrection and celebrating who our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is and what he's done. So for this morning, Again, the purpose of the plagues that God might make himself known, and we're going to see that God makes himself known through his people. And my prayer is that with this understanding, as we dive into the word, we can see the signs rightly and respond rightly to who the Lord is. But would you join me in a word of prayer as we prepare to go into God's word together? Father, we are grateful that you would give us this treasure trove, your truth, that we might know you, love you, and live for you. Thank you for being a God who makes himself known. That you do not leave us to ourselves, but that we can come to know our creator and be in relationship with you if we respond rightly to your truth. So on this morning, we pray, Father, that you would speak to us a word that teaches us, trains us, corrects us, rebukes us, that draws us into your love, that we might respond rightly and experience what it means, what it looks like to be your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and we thank you, Lord. Amen. Exodus chapter 8, starting at verse 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up 
early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will separate the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people tomorrow. This sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so. For the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go out to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked, and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague. Upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln, and let Moses throw throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh. And Moses threw it in the air and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. 
and the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. This is the word of the Lord. As we look at this story, it could be very easy to think that the flies and the livestock dying and the boils were the sign that were to point to God. But we can look deeper and do a dive and see that it's not the signs of the flies, the livestock, and the boils that were significant in and of themselves. It was actually the separation that God speaks to Pharaoh of his people against the people of Egypt. And we see that as the Lord communicates this next plague, this fourth plague in the series of plagues that are being performed in Egypt. He says, but on that day, verse 22, I will separate the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign shall happen. So yes, the flies were going to come, and they were going to come in hordes. And like we said with the frogs, I mean, nobody is scared of one frog. Nobody is scared of 10 flies. But when flies are covering all of the ground and all of your house and all of your person, all right, flies are a problem. But again, it wasn't just the flies. It was the fact that there would be no flies in Goshen. God was going to show that he was the Lord in the midst of the earth. So he's not just some far off and distant deity, but what he was going to demonstrate is that he's a God who has a people that he cares for, takes care of, that he can keep and protect. And this distinction was going to communicate to Pharaoh that this is the Lord, an eternally existent, but also personally present God. And so the Lord performs this sign, and yes, it ruins all of Egypt, but Goshen is shining bright. And it's because these are the people of God. You start to process that. You start to see that. You may start to think, hmm, something good looks like it's happening in Goshen. I might want to get on that team. But again, as we communicated just a moment ago, God is making himself known to his people. So the people of God are starting to see how powerful their God truly is. Now, Pharaoh still didn't catch that clue. Even though he sees this sign, this distinction, God separating his people from the people of Egypt, Pharaoh still is trying to negotiate some terms to an agreement. All right. Got it. You are God. I'll let you go, but you have to stay in the land. That wasn't the demand of the Lord. They were to go a three days journey into the wilderness. So Pharaoh was starting to get a hint, but he still didn't have a clue. And so when Moses says that's not going to be right to do, we need to go a three days journey. He's like, okay, you can go, but don't go too far. Like, Pharaoh, are you still not getting it? No, clearly you're not. 
And so he hardens his heart. And what we see next is that the Lord sends another plague, a very severe plague. Now, severe would have been enough, but the magnitude of this plague required a qualifier, a very severe plague. All of the livestock of the Egyptians were going to be wiped out. And again, that could be seen as the sign that when all of your livestock are gone, clearly you will catch a clue. But God is making himself known through his people that he's a personally present God. And so we see here Moses speaking to Pharaoh, letting him know what's going to happen if he should refuse. Chapter 9, verse 2, for if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. This word translated distinction here in verse 4 is also the same word in Hebrew that's translated set apart in chapter 8, verse 22. Making a difference between one and another. God is making a distinction between his people and the people of the world for the purposes of letting it be known that he is the Lord in the midst of the earth. So it's not for the purposes of saying we have this exclusive club over here and it's just going to be us hanging out and we just want to let you know that we are better than you. No, that's not the purposes. Again, the whole scroll, if we remember all 10 of the plagues, there's actually going to be an opportunity for the Egyptians to come and be a part of the winning team. So God is making himself known through his people so that all people might respond rightly to him. And there are going to be opportunities for this right response to happen. But it's this distinction I want you to know that these are my people, and I take care of my people. You want to be a part of my people? Come on. You don't? Well, we're going to see in just a few weeks what happens if you continue to reject God. But God makes this distinction, this separation. And Pharaoh understands this. And we can see by his response when the very severe plague falls on the livestock. Verse 5. And the Lord set a time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day, the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. See, Pharaoh didn't just look out and see the livestock and like, oh man, it went down just like he said. They're all gone, horses, camels. Herds, flocks. No. He said, okay, they're all gone. Hey, go check out Goshen and, and see if all of their livestock is still alive and well. And he sends this party and he finds out that God did just what he said. There's a distinction. His people are cared for. They're covered. Their livestock is kept. But the people of Israel or the people of Egypt their livestock is decimated. Well, now you start to see the sign. God says, I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. 
recognize who I am and respond rightly. But Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And so God, unrelenting and making himself known, tells Moses and Aaron, all right, perform this sign. Throw that soot in the air, and I'm just going to spread boils over the Egyptians and their beasts. I'm thinking, well, if all the livestock are gone, how much more animals do they have for boils? But they were going to go through too. And so all these boils break out. And the magicians, these servants of the false gods, perform their final act through their secret arts. They disappear. They cannot stand in the presence of the servants of the true and living God. God makes a distinction between his servants and the servants of the false gods. You cannot stand in the presence of God unless you are his people. And God is making this point very plain. And there's a significant purpose for these signs so that we might know him, that we might love him, that we might live for him. It was these signs that would begin to allow the children of Israel to start to catch a clue, to recognize who God is. And now they will start to soon respond rightly to the Lord. We'll see in a little while. But at this point, even the children of Israel, they still, we haven't heard anything from them since they last rejected God. They're needing to get to know who their God is as well. And God graciously, lovingly makes himself known. If we don't understand the purpose of the plagues, we can start to feel like, oh, why, why all those plagues? And think that, that it was pointless Instead of seeing the beauty of the plagues, God is making himself known. He does not have to do this. He could just send pestilence one time and wipe everything out. But he's such a gracious, loving, and caring God that he would make himself known to people who continually reject him, refuse his terms, harden their hearts, and he continues Say, I am God. I'm God over all. And if you would receive me, I will be your God as well. The beauty of these plagues, the beauty of this story is that God makes himself known. And that's the same purpose that God is working out to this day. He's still looking to make himself known. And what we also see as we look through the plagues and again the whole scroll is that God has not changed his methodology. He still uses his people to make himself known. And we see this throughout scripture. God sets apart a people, but not just so that they can have a party and wait to go to heaven, but with a specific purpose in mind. And Jesus communicates how God sets apart a people and the purpose for which he sets them apart. In John chapter 13, Jesus was getting ready to be betrayed by Judas, and he was going to go to the cross to pay the price for the sins of mankind. And in between the time that Judas leaves the meal, and the guards come and take Jesus to be executed. 
Jesus gives his disciples some instructions on how they are to live for him. He lets them know how they are to be set apart. The sign, if you will, that others might see so that they would know who the people of God are. John 13, verses 31 through 35, this significant sign that sets apart the people of God. When he had gone out, that's Judas Iscariot, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while, I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, the love that you have for God and for each other, this will be a sign so that all people might know that you are set apart. It's the distinction of the disciples. And again, not so that they can have a party, but they have a purpose. And we'll flip over to John 17 in just a moment. But I just want to make sure that this sign is clear because it's significant. Just like with the plagues, the Lord used this sign of distinction, of separation to demonstrate that he is the Lord in the midst of the earth. And now we see the Lord still using this same method, setting apart a people with a clear sign that you are the people of God. By the love that you have for one another. This is the sign so that other people might see who we are and whose we are. And then in John 17, Jesus, this is still before going to the cross. This is in that window of Judas Iscariot leaving the room and Jesus being taken by the guards. Jesus with his disciples around him is praying a prayer. And he prays for those that are with him, the disciples that he gave this commandment to. To love one another as the Lord Jesus has loved them. And now in this prayer, he's letting them know that they are being sent to do a work. But the Lord lets, lets it be known that it's not just for those who are with him right now. But for all who would come to receive and believe in him. And he says what the purpose is for this set apart family. Verses 20 through 23. I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word, you and I, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as you loved me. So for the people of God, 
The disciples who have this distinction, this set-apartness from the world. The Lord lets us know that purpose is so that we might let the world know who Jesus is. By our oneness, the world will come to know that the Father has sent the Son, the Lord, using the same methods to accomplish the same purpose. I'm setting apart a people so that it might be seen that I am in the midst of the earth, and this sign will be love. And through this oneness, the world might know who I am, Jesus says. The Lord, God Almighty, still till this day, is looking to make himself known. And he has raised up a people for the purposes of making himself known. No. And Peter, one of the disciples who were with Jesus from the time Judas left until the time the guards came, and then Peter left as well. But Peter heard the commandment, and he heard the prayer. And Peter understood what the purpose that God was leaving them here for. And so Peter now, having gotten older, getting ready to go on to be with the Lord any time now, wants to make sure that the body of believers remembers why they're still here, what your purpose is on this earth. And so we see in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here, Peter is talking to those who have come to Christ. He says, you are a chosen people. Handpicked by God himself, a royal priesthood, which I don't have time to unpack it the way that I like to, but I'm just going to touch on it briefly because it blessed my soul. Right In the Hebrew nation, you could not be royalty and a part of the priesthood. You were either of the line of David or the line of Aaron, but you were not both. Now, because of who Jesus is, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and our high priest as his children, we are a royal priesthood. Is that good to anybody else but me? I mean, that thing just made me just stand up for a moment by myself in the office, which is my closet. You know, I just got to get happy all by myself. A royal priesthood because of who Jesus is to me. But don't stay there, Michael. Let's keep it moving. A holy nation. This word holy communicates the same sentiment that we read in Exodus 8 and 9. Set apart, distinction, set apart by God or for God, for the purposes of God. We are a holy people. For what purpose? Good question. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him, Jesus, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That you might declare the wonderful acts of Jesus. And I love how Peter doesn't leave it for you to decide, well, well, which ones? There were so many. Hold on. Once you were a people, you were not a people, but now you are a people. These wonderful acts, 
once you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were not a people, but now you are God's people because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Now you are a son and a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he goes on. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You were to pay the price for sin, eternally separated from God. But you have been given a gift of grace. And we just sang about it, not so that we can boast in ourselves, but so that we might boast in glory in Christ and Christ alone. Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. You are a people chosen by God for a purpose. He makes a distinction between us and the world, not so that we could turn our noses up at the world, but so that we can be an example of his love so that others might see, know, and believe that the Lord is still in the midst of the earth. How will they see this love? A love that makes no sense to man. How do you get along so well? The world can fight about everything. But then they should come into this family and look and see, like, how, what? How are you all getting along? There are all kinds of racial tensions in the world, and you all just are just sitting down having a kumbaya kind of moment, it looks like. Like, what, how do you do that? It doesn't make any sense. Everybody else is fighting over position and power, and you have someone who's impoverished and someone who's wealthy, and you all just sitting next to each other like you work in the same field. We have the same God. And that's what the world would let us know. There is no Greek or Jew, no male or female, no slave or free, no Scythian or barbarian, but we are all one in Christ. There's a distinction that God makes with his people. And it's the same that he's been doing since the Exodus and before. I'm setting apart a people so that you might know that I am the Lord. That you might see that I'm here. And if you will, you can come and experience my love. That's a beautiful story. And it's a wonderful truth. Why then does it seem like love is the hardest thing to live out? Right? We make our preferences greater than the purpose of God. Oh, no, I know that there's some really strong positions. Listen, there's nobody who has more personal convictions and that can communicate them with passion than myself. But if we ever make our preferences greater than the purpose for which God has us here, then our preferences have become a problem. And I don't care what you think the motivation is behind it. Read 1 Corinthians 13. You could speak like an angel. You could have all wisdom. You can give away all your goods and even give your body to be sacrificed for the good of somebody else. But if you don't have love, you gain nothing. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians to the church, there's this division in the body. We weren't created and brought together for division, distinction, but not division within the body. And Paul was letting them know that's a terrible thing. 
you all are arguing and fighting over who you belong to. Peter, Paul, Apollos, Jesus, only one died for you. We should all be able to come together under the banner of the blood of Jesus. I know there are some differing positions and some differing views. But if we can believe on the foundational truths of God's word, then love should bind us together. Because this is the great evangelistic tool for the world. This is the distinction of the disciple. It's so that the world might know that the Father sent the Son. Do you see the tension? If there is division in the body, it's a problem. And it's a problem that has to be addressed because we can miss the sign just like Pharaoh missed the sign. The Lord sets his people apart. Your land is just decimated by flies and Goshen is looking pretty. All your livestock is gone and our livestock is still grazing. Your servants have run away because they have been mutilated. God's servants stand in firm. How do you miss that sign? You shouldn't. How is the world missing out on the fact that God is present? Well, for some, it may be that their hearts are hardened. But maybe for some of us, the argument might be is that we're not living love the way that God is calling us to. Can people see the sign that we have been set apart so that God might see, know, and believe that he is the creator of the universe and people might respond to him rightly? What do we do, church? Do we keep on fighting to make our point proven? Or do we look to lean into love so that people can see that we've been set apart so that they might see the love of God? for themselves and respond rightly to him. I felt challenged by that myself, and I pray that you feel challenged by that as well. If you are the people of God, you've been set apart for a purpose, and we need to live love. And that doesn't start out in the world. Listen, Jesus said, love one another, and you don't get to define that, and neither do I. He defined that. He said, as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. How did he love us? He loved us by emptying himself of power and humbling himself and becoming obedient to the point of death. We are to love that way. We are to love one another that way. And so the challenge today is going to be very practical. And it may introduce itself in your living room. That love needs to start in your household. We are so quick to want to go out to the far ends of the earth, and rightfully so we should. But we step over our own family members to go and love on somebody else. And the Lord said, love one another. And as we love one another, then the world will know that the Father sent the Son. So can we get practical for a moment? Can we act like we're not preaching to some other people and we just have got it all together and figured out and we're just going to ride out of here on our high horses? 
No one's going to respond to that. Can you, can you play that phone again so that I can at least get one amen? <laughs> I don't know who that was. Like, oh, my goodness, he heard that. Everybody heard it. It's fine. No, but <clears throat> sorry. Stay focused, Michael. <clears throat> In your living room, who do you need to forgive? I want the praise team to come back up as we prepare to go before the Lord in a quiet time of reflection and prayer. Love one another. This is the sign. This is the distinction that's going to show the separation. And I really want us to wrestle with this well. Because let's be honest. We make our preferences the purpose. And I'm, I'm, just so that we can be transparent, I really, Sean, I keep saying this, but at some point the live stream, man, I just I feel it pulling on me. But <clears throat> right now, I just, you know, I, I just want to be really just granularly honest. I, I get up in the morning, and it's not Puff Up Michael Day. I just want to share sincerely, right, so that we can see prayerfully how easy it could be to get off track. I get up in the morning and look to make some coffee so that my wife and I can sit down and have some quiet time together. And this is a morning activity that, that I do throughout the week. It's a loving act. Right? Like, I'm like, oh, why don't you make me coffee? That's not what the point is of that story. <clears throat> and as I'm getting up in the morning to go make coffee for my wife and I to sit down and have time together, there's some things that aren't where they're supposed to be. Like, yeah, why why and I find myself starting to get irritated. <clears throat> and, you know, Jomar and I are different. I get up early. Jomar can sleep late. And we're supposed to start our coffee and quiet time together at 6 a.m. But it's 5.59. And I don't hear footsteps upstairs. <clears throat> so now I try to graciously storm up the stairs. <clears throat> and we have some dimmer switch. <clears throat> Right, where you can just kind of let it just ease into the light. But I just, mm, wake up. It's our time to be with Jesus together. Oh, well, that, that's love. Right, and, and, and I'm glad that we can laugh about that. Because it is, I had to laugh at myself and say, Michael, calm down. Right, but think about it. It just takes that little speck. And now I'm irritated with the one who I'm supposed to show the love of Christ to. And now the very time that we carved out to be personal and intimate and praying to God together and reading his word together, now I really don't want to sit there because we're five minutes behind schedule. And now that changes the whole day. And now I'm just irritable with the kids. And now I can't even focus when I'm trying to spend time in the word. It's like, what happened to love? What was the point, Michael? Oh, because you're so punctual, you want everything to go just the way it's supposed to go? And that gives you the liberty to kick love out the door? Or should you graciously enter into the room and just put on two touches of the dimmer switch and maybe even hum a little tune? You know, and start 15 minutes late, but being gracious. Think about how you and I respond, whether you have siblings, parents, spouses, roommates, friends, how quickly we can put love aside. 
the very sign that's supposed to cause people to see that the Lord is in our midst and now make it about some preference that we have. What are you doing that with? And here's the question. Who do you need to apologize to for not demonstrating the love of Jesus? Because there's nothing that's worth it. The Lord has left us here for a purpose, people of God. And it's not so that we can have a party, but it's so that he might make himself known. Same purpose, same method. Will you and I partner with the Lord to live out love in such a way that others might know him, love him, and live for him? So for the next couple of minutes, you and Jesus, please, don't take this for granted that God would meet us here in this place right now. And I know the coffee may be light and humorous, but I'm serious, it's not. I've seen the day turn into turmoil because of two minutes. Ah. Father, forgive me for making my preference greater than your purpose. Let's go before God with a heart of humility, asking for forgiveness. Confess to God the spaces that you have allowed your preference to be greater than his love. And if there is somebody that you need to apologize to, love them as the Lord has loved you. Empty yourself of power. And humble yourself and obey the leading of the Holy Spirit. So for a few minutes, go before the throne of grace, asking God for forgiveness and receiving his love.